Well, we know that kindergarten's all about learning. We know that K through 12 is all about learning. And, and people go on to college and that's all about learning. And then now we're done, right? We, we graduate, we go get a job, and now we know what we need to know and we go perform. But uh, I believe it's the, the perpetual learners, the lifelong learners, uh, who, who truly excel and advance uh, both their organizations, themselves, and humanity as a whole. And so that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, that brings to mind for me, um, you know, Satya Nadella, when he took over at Microsoft, said, I'm going to shift this place from a culture of know-it-alls to a culture of learn-it-alls. And, you know, the stock has uh, tripled or quadrupled in the time that he has been driving that shift. So I think there might be something to it. And uh, on that note, as before we dig in, let's welcome you to episode five of Happy Heuristics, shock-resistant leader routines and rules of thumb for a complex world. And if you've listened to any of their episodes of this podcast, you know the premise that uh, we operate in a complex, uh, complex, volatile world. And there's so much stuff coming at us. It actually is uh, really more than... Uh, then uh, our brains have computational power to process, even though we'd like to think it's different. So instead of getting paralyzed or freaked out, uh, the, the uh, alternative is to have, have uh, a, a stock of reliable heuristics or happy heuristics that are gonna help you make the right decision much of the time without having to think too damn hard about it. Yeah, so it's, it's about consistency, it's about speed, uh, and it's about simplicity, right? Kind yeah. of taking some of the complexity out. Um, and, and so, again, for, for repeat re return listeners, we, we pick a theme, we pick a couple heuristics, uh, each pick a heuristic and kind of stress test it, explain it, and, and help people understand the world through that lens. And, and this time, you know, as, as we talk about the theme of learning, being learning-oriented, you, know, you certainly meet people that might operate that that way, but most people seem to aspire to, right? Mm -hmm. They seem to aspire to be a learner. It's not that not that they have to be convinced that it's good, um, but how do we put some rules in place uh, to to help us do that more consistently? So, yeah. so that's what we're trying to do. Okay, sounds good. Uh, you want to go first this week? Yep. This so, uh, so my my heuristic um, is. Uh, Make all career decisions uh, based on how much you will learn. Um, that's a, it's a, a pretty bold statement. Now, this is yeah. one that I, I'll say a little detour around how we use heuristics. Some heuristics are ones we use every day. I think we, mm. we kind of covered those in episode four. Others, I mean, career decisions don't come up every day. Right. But uh, how, do we, how do we make decisions <clears throat> and sort of pack forward old learnings, um, uh, but be able to manage those, those key moments in, in some consistency. So, so that's mine, make all career decisions based on how much you will learn. Mm -hmm. um, so so my, own, my own journey, uh, my own personal journey is I, I've sort of had three opportunities where I, I, I took a pay cut. Um, and so that's how I knew this, this heuristic was, was really a you know, heuristic and not just something, an easy thing to say, check a box on. Right. So I took three, three different times, I took a significant pay cut um, in order to learn more, in order mm -hmm. to be on a different trajectory of learning. Um, 
Once was when I left Chrysler. I, I literally emptied my bank account to exit an employment contract because I thought there'd be more learning in the work we were going to go do at DT Energy. Huh. Um, and that was a big, big, bold decision, but yeah. uh, you know, turned out well in the long run. Uh, did it again when I started uh, the Lean Learning Center um, and uh, uh, over 20 years ago. And then on a sort of a, a side version of that, I, I left a board where I joined a new board where I was making about a third for the same time commitment. But again, I had kind of learned what I needed to learn there and I thought I'd learn more in this, this different board. And so, but each of those decisions really really worked out very well for me in the long run and the short run. Um, and, and I guess we'll, we'll, we'll cover some of that. But that's, you know, if, if you say, hey, I'm going to learn more and I'll make more money. Well, that's an easy decision, right? Right. So how, how do I know that the learning was really the important thing? Well, because I was making less money in each of those, each of right. those decisions. Right. This is not just a narcissistic story you're telling retrospectively that happens to be convenient. Yeah. This is a, you, you, you had skin in the game. You actually made a trade-off. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's how we know, if, if we're thoughtful about the decisions, when there is a real trade-off to make, that's how we know right. what's important there. Right. Okay. So what's the, um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess part of this is like actually uh, taking into account in your equation of what is in your self-interest, things that are hard to compute, right? Because the learning piece of that, I don't know how you, you know. It's, it's easy to count uh, dollars. Mm -hmm. It's easy to count compensation. Inherently, objectively, you know, measurable. Uh, and the tricky part, including learning in the equation, is knowing how the hell to, to, uh, uh, to build that in to the equation. Yeah, and that's why I think it's useful as a rule because you can't compute the learning, right? Right, So you, right. Just, you just kind of say, forget it. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to try to compute it. I'm just going to go for it, right? Because it's... And then you don't have to worry about the, the, right. the computational trade-off. Right, exactly. And, and so I think there's a couple reasons why that why that rule is so important. One is that you know careers are a trajectory, right? We we like to tell people, ah, oh, you can always change your mind later, but but there's still a trajectory behind it. You still are benefiting from past decisions on the pathway that you're on, and so there's there's always career decisions should always be based about a longer term perspective than we're usually making them on, mm -hmm. right? And, and learning is, the, is, is, what, is what pays us off in the future, right? So I think that, that, that fundamental uh, learning is about the future and your, your ability to provide value in the future. And so that's, that's one reason that, that trade-off starts to be more obvious in the long term. Um, I think second is, I you know, no matter what we're dealing with, there's, there's challenges, there's problems we have to solve and learning is about our pathway through. And, you know, quite frankly, if we don't have challenges to overcome that require learning, we're probably just doing a job. We're not adding a lot of value, right? Right. right. We're filling a hole. We're, we're a cog in the system, but solving new problems, uh, uncovering new decisions that requires learning if we're going to do it well. And so that's how we actually add value. Mm -hmm. which sets us up for promotion and other things like that. Um, and, and then third, and, and this, this might, be, might be one that's not the same amount of true for everybody, yeah. but that learning is energy. Learning is what uh, kind of feeds the soul, 
Yeah. And um, I, you know, one of my, my favorite quotes is uh, Henry Ford said, anyone who stops learning is dead, whether they're eight or 80. And yeah, that's great. I hadn't heard that. Okay. Yeah, and it's kind of, you know, who knows with Henry Ford, you never know whether he said it or someone just wrote that he said it. But but, uh, but fundamentally, I, I, I think that's, that's true. It's like, I, I want to be a, you know, that's what being a lifelong learner is. And that's sort of making career decisions around, I'll, I'll use that first example of leaving Chrysler and going to DT Energy is, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit here and, and churn, right? Or I'm going to go over there and, and be energized. And, mm-hmm. and boy, I, I, there's no amount of money that, to me, that's worth doing a job that doesn't energize you at some level. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, believe me, I'm, I'm all about the brain candy. I, I think that's, uh, uh, that's, that's a big part of my equation. And, I, and it's been useful for me, even in just this short conversation so far, to have you articulate the heuristic like that. Because I know sometimes I, you know, in terms of like in our professional services, what we charge for stuff, or whether we go something was worthwhile or not worthwhile, and sometimes I think I am maybe not being fully responsible to my business partners because I know I do count actually the amount of brain candy that something is going to deliver into whether I think something was worthwhile or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no official accounting for that. Right. And, uh, and this gives me more confidence to say, and I don't care. I mean, right, right, because it, you know, aren't your partners also going to benefit from a more engaged Jeff? Right? Yeah, right, right. One who's excited about what we're doing and and learning is some of that that you know that brain candy that uh, uh, fuel for the soul, right? And and so I think that's that's why you know again you can do the analytical math and try to do a pro and con, but fundamentally I think career paths are about injecting the best into us and getting the best out of us. Yeah, right, right. right. And so, boy, if, if learning isn't part of it, then both of those things sort of no longer are true. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and that's, you know, another, another favorite quote of mine, uh, kind of makes that expectation around the arc way, which is uh, from Gandhi, uh, Mahatma Gandhi, which is learn as if you'll live forever, uh, live as if you'll die tomorrow. So oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So sort of like, you know, live, live for today, right? Be, be immersed in the moment and don't just put everything off to the future, but learn as if, you know, there's always going to be an opportunity to, to benefit from that learning or to pay it back or to, to utilize it to advance yourself, your company, your organization, society as a whole, whatever that might be. And, uh, and so I think, I think that's why that, of, of those three reasons, right, career trajectory all the way through the, the fuel, you know, perhaps the career trajectory becomes less important the further you are in your career. But at the same time, perhaps the, 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 the energy, the, the fuel for the soul is even more important the further mm-hmm. you are in your career. Mm-hmm. You, gotta, you may not need to work as much. So what's going to keep you engaged and... Yeah and loving what you do. And and I think learning is that for many people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that reminds me of something I stumbled on not too long ago. And actually I, you know, you're the lean guru and I saw this thing called lean fire. Do you know what this is? No. Yeah. So I thought it was like, it had something to do with lean and, and, uh, this might be one of those other things I'm remembering wrong and I'll fix it in the show notes if (laughs) I did, but I, I swear it was like lean fire. I'm like, what the heck is, is that like the new version of like, is that agile lean? What is that? Right. You know, something, 
you know, Jamie's probably on top of this, but, uh, but what, what I, what it is, is like this movement about really saying, you know, you're nuts if you think that a corporation is going to take care of you, you know, the, the, the deal has changed. And so, you know, part of taking on self-authorship here means that, you know, you play by your own rules and that it's not about, you know, and, and that it's about making enough money by, you know, X period of time where you go, okay, now I have, now I have freedom, like not FU money, but like enough freedom where you can just go on an adventure and you can really uh, shift the equation where it's like, you know, whether it, whether it's adventure learning, whatever, you, you know, you get to a point where you're not, it, it, you know, your, your happiness is not about status, money, material things. It's about what you can do and having a discipline to do that. So I think that is, you know, I think there this this sort of notion is catching on. There's some ways that are embodying that. That might be the next, you know, version of lean that you uh, become the guru on. <laughs> Maybe. Sure. Well, and, 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 and so, you know, fundamentally these rules, and, and like most heuristics, right, they, they are meant to fight uh, the, the human nature that works against our own best interest. And in this case, our own best long-term interest, right? And that's, that's where I, I think a lot of, yeah, I, I talk to a lot of people unhappy in their jobs and like, but I don't want to, you know, I, I, I need this money, right? I, I don't want to take a pay cut, but you know, how, if, if you're really learning and growing and contributing, you know, how long is a pay cut really a pay cut? Right. Right. And if you get on a different trajectory, if you jump over to a different, you know, uh, I'm, I'm on this, I'm on this ladder or this slide and I'm going to jump over to that one. If it's learning oriented ladder or slide, it's, it's a faster one to where you want to go. Um, and so, yeah, you might take a, you might take a step back in order to take a step forward. And that's a, that's a, that's a hard human nature decision, but that's why I think this heuristic so important is it's like, yeah, that's, that's almost almost, right? mm -hmm. almost always going to pay off. Yeah. Right. With, yeah. with the ability, you know, where it's not going to pay off is where you probably can't predict it anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think probably for, for both of us in a lot of the coaching we do, we have conversations with people all the time where, you know, they talk about, uh, you know, what, what they're doing and, and, and rationalize it as you were describing. And, and, uh, you know, and when you, when you say to people, well, you know, to try to think about something else, it can feel like maybe you're being touchy feely, like it's being, you know, new agey. And I, to me, I always try to bring it back to the language of cost benefit analysis. And I go, no, that's totally cool. And what is this costing you? Mm -hmm. And, and, and to that point in that situation, you know, if you're in a job that is not, uh, you know, not providing whatever sort of brain candy that one, uh, you know, uh, might get otherwise, then, you know, if it's not being moralistic or, 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 or fanciful, it's about being, you know, like an actual accountant in the service of your own self-interest to go, what the hell is this costing you? And, and then, and then, and then make an enlightened decision. Yep. Absolutely. So, so I think we've uh, uh, we've hammered on that one pretty well. We can uh, start to switch to our next heuristic. Sounds good. Okay, so I know yours is a bit different. So yeah. uh, why don't you take me down your heuristic? Yeah, uh, my heuristic is mistakes are intellectual capital. I guess you should start with a verb. Treat your mistakes as intellectual capital, right? And this is a saying that I first heard from Walt Buckley. Walt Buckley was the CEO of Internet Capital Group. 
which is a million years ago, or maybe it was 1999. I'm not sure. It was same thing. Yeah, same <laughs> thing. Uh, it was uh, you know he was the CEO of Internet Capital Group, which was uh, you know had something like 45 employees, but because it was an internet company, uh, you know had a market cap that was bigger than GM's at the time, right? And then uh, you know the, they're setting the world on fire. And then the internet bubble burst and they got, you know, just got their butts kicked, right? And uh, so he, uh, you know, says to his troops, you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, the good news is we're not dead. Like, we're, we're, we're not dead. We can live to fight another day. Um, but you know what? He said, I, I know that there's a temptation to go, oh, that, you know, just blame everything on external factors because, you know, which is a classic human nature. You know, the uh, I think we've talked before about, you know, that old saying among Communist Party bosses, you know, good crops come from good farming, bad crops come from bad weather. You know, mm -hmm. we, get, we give ourselves credit for our successes and we blame external factors when, when things go badly. So they could have just blamed, uh, you know, internet bubble burst. Who could have seen that coming? Right. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and then rationalize that away without any hits to the ego. And he said, but uh, he said, before we, you know, like start charging back up the hill, let's acknowledge that uh, we were getting sloppy. And, uh, you know, we had we but out of this hard won experience, let's treat our mistakes as intellectual capital. And to me, that's really just like a, a phenomenal way of reframing human experience, you know, because again, talking about hacking our own human nature, you know, one of the things we know is that, um, you know, our brains, uh, evolution, uh, selected for what would help us survive long enough to procreate. It wasn't, you know, evolution didn't care so much about, you know, what makes you a great leader. Right. And, and so it's about, uh, understanding that, you know, our brains that are just so defensive and so wired to keep us safe, want to keep us safe, not only from threats to our bodies, from like the, you know, the saber-toothed tiger lurking around the, the corner, but also threats to our, our, our egos and, and threats to our face, right? And so when you're in an environment where mistakes are seen as sources of shame, it actually puts us in a spot to sub-optimize because, you know, you have that hard-won experience. If, but if, if your brain is trying to keep you safe and not embarrassed and that's the way it's seen, then, you, you know, you, you, and you have a culture that that's why you train people to get really damn good at deflection, finger pointing, rationalization, minimization of, of problems and mistakes instead of the learning opportunities they are. Again, you already paid for them. You're going to take the value or not going to take the value, right? This is, and, and so the, the, the tricky part though is, it, you know, it's really about driving cognitive reappraisal at mass scale but it's 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 phenomenal when it happens and that's an example of it that important reframe mistakes are intellectual capital there, there are other you know versions of this um more recently um uh, a guy that i'd worked with named uh, ahmad tarson told me that in his uh, son's classroom he had seen the sign that said mistakes are expected inspected and corrected and i thought that's awesome that's awesome expected means it's normalized like this is not this is nobody panic a mistake right. happened but it's also going to be inspected we're going to grab the damn learning out of it right and then corrected is and there's responsibility there's accountability for doing something about it and i think i think that's beautiful and if like 
kids got that embedded in their heads uh, early, that would be a really phenomenal thing. From a different perspective, something I think is interesting is, um, you know, there's this movement, um, so I don't have to turn on the explicit tag, you know, when we load up our, our I won't say what it's really called, but you know, it's F up nights. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, Anchor makes you turn on the explicit tag if you're going to say the <laughs> F word, so I'm not going to say it. Uh, the uh, but F up nights are like this reverse TED talk where the idea is you know you you have people do these TED talkish talks where they talk about uh, you know some you know epic failure and and then what they've learned from it. And again, it's this really nice version of cognitive reappraisal where uh, going from mistakes are sources of shame to uh, mistakes can be badges of honor if you learn from them, uh, I think is a really, uh, uh, is, is a great example of hacking human nature and uh, driving this cognitive reappraisal that actually puts us all in a better spot to uh, operate more rationally without letting our own you know, defensive brains get in the way. Yeah, and I think it begins with that, you know, expect and really celebrate in a way in order to set yourself up for extraction. Um, you know, you know my friend Mark Raven a little mm. bit, but Mark, Mark and I have a, another podcast called Lean Whiskey Together. And, and he's very prolific writer, author, and, and podcaster. And he has a whole podcast called My Favorite Mistake, yeah, which yeah, is about cool. other people's mistakes and what they learn from it right and so he's really trying to celebrate uh and and honor learning um and, and i i think the you know the it's the first sort of psychological uh response right when other people uh make mistakes we shame and blame when we make a mistake we we move on and quietly you know don't look over here and pretend that was just an anomaly but but we miss the opportunity to build intellectual capital um you talked about you kind of open with the 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 internet crash as a yeah. oh well that's just couldn't see that coming yeah. well you know a lot of people today are saying well we couldn't see the pandemic coming but right. e-trade as an example i'm sure they're not the only company they had it on their risk management plan no kidding wow yeah i mean they they, they you know, of course you know they didn't know this was coming now right, but right. but as they looked at risk management they go you know one of the risks that we should be prepared for is pandemic mm -hmm. right and and you know of course we've been you know people We've known about pandemics for a very long time. They're not new things. It's just, you know, it's, it's like a lot of things. It's low probability, high impact. And that's really the lesson is that our risk management systems are biased towards the higher probability, uh, but perhaps lower impact versus the high impact, low probability. Yeah. But in terms of risk planning, those might benefit more right, all right. from being prepared for the, you know, I mean, military and intelligence services and things like that. They, they, they spend a lot of time preparing for the low probability. Uh, people spend their entire career planning for a low probability, uh, but high impact event. Uh, but in, in business and in, in life, we, we, we tend not to, right? We, we, yeah. uh, we tend not to. But the point of, of the E-Trade example is there are lessons to extract from that. Why didn't we see it coming? Why didn't we have a plan? Okay, well, that's, we could either explain it away or we could, we could extract lessons from it. Yeah, yeah. And now that you say it, it reminds me that, you know, Nassim Taleb, who wrote Black Swan, uh, is very, uh, uh, is, uh, you know, very, um, 
emphatic about saying, uh, you know, when he's asked about uh, the pandemic, uh, this is not a black swan event. Mm -hmm. This, you know, this, right. this specific thing is not predicted, but the fact that it would be a pandemic, not a black swan. Right. Not a black swan. Exactly. Not, not yeah. a black swan. I, I think we shouldn't, shouldn't call it, calling it that is sort of an example of explaining it away. Exactly. Right? It's like, exactly. oh yeah, there's nothing we could have done about it, but it was a gray swan event. It was, it was foreseeable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so I, I, I think, um, you know, the key here is, is, you know, our first reaction to a mistake and then our second reaction, right? Our first reaction, it's not shame or blame or explain away. It's, it's, you know, bring out in the open and, and, and make it transparent. And then the second reaction is turn it into intellectual, intellectual capital, right? Learn right. from it in a deliberate way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, you know, one thing that, uh, I should acknowledge is, you know, like, like your heuristic is, uh, that you shared is like a real heuristic, a situational heuristic that can guide decisions where your where one's computational power might be otherwise taxed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and, uh, that's in comparison to this one, which, you know, some of my go, you know, treat mistakes as intellectual capital sounds more, more like a guiding principle or more like a mantra because there's very few situations where you go, huh, I'm stumped. You know, I don't know whether to uh, treat this mis mistake as a source of shame or a source of intellectual capital. You know, should I buy, should I buy a Toyota pickup or should I buy a Ford pickup? Right. I mean, it's, it's not one of those things. But it is, I think, a good mantra because if, if you have a culture where people are saying that enough, where people are invoking that enough, then you create an environment where in those moments of truth, where people can either get in reactive defensive mode or they can get in uh, creative solution mode, you can, you know, you can keep them at, you know, the, the sufficient invocation of, of mantras like that, you, you pull people out of the reptile brain and back into the prefrontal cortex, which by the way, is what you are paying them for, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you hired them based on what they were capable of doing with their prefrontal cortex, not was it in their reptile brain. And so, you know, part of investing in, a, in that culture, part of investing in that cognitive reappraisal is getting to a point where you can actually realize the investment that you made in talent. Yep, yeah, and, and I, I think perhaps, I, you know, I agree it's kind of a mantra Perhaps turning it into a, a, a more of a heuristic is something around, and, and this, this could take us down a pretty deep rabbit hole, but design your systems to treat mistakes as intellectual capital. Right. Right. So it's like whether it's your strategic planning process or your day-to-day -day execution system or your meeting routines or your hiring practices, right? Have you, as you design and build those systems of work, are you designing them to, to leverage mistakes, mm -hmm. right? Or are we, are we keeping them transparent? Are we uh, engaging in them? Are we focusing on the system Are we versus the person? And are we learning from them and turning into lessons? I, I think you know, any time we touch a process that, that involves humans, right? We should be looking at how do we design it in order to treat mistakes as intellectual capital. Yeah. And one one thing that comes to mind in, in terms of doing that is, you know, I was thinking about um, Annie Duke, who I probably mentioned three or four times, the, the poker pro who uh, talks about resulting, which is, you know, resulting is uh, judging a process strictly based on outcomes. 
which means you know failing to take into account luck. So sometimes you can actually play poker pretty lousy, but luck into a win and pat yourself on the back and take no learning from it. And sometimes you can play uh, well, you know, you can play exactly what you should do and, you know, the cards are just not in your favor and you lose, right? And so, you know, and, and resulting is, is really an opportunity to say there's learning either way. And, mm. and, and one thing I think, we, you know, you and I have talked about and are both fans of is uh, creating a system where, for example, you do after action reviews or retrospectives or whatever, even when things go well. Right. Because there are learnings even when things go well. And I think just as importantly, when you only do, you know, a post-mortem when things go wrong, then it, it, it creates that cloud over it where it really people are not coming into that environment focused primarily on learning. They're focused on how do I make sure that somebody else takes the blame? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just remember, uh, you know, way back when, when I was a at Chrysler, we had, we had intended to build a system around learning. It was it was around product launches, right? So product launch automotive is a pretty big deal. But it was the report was called the What Went Right, What Went Wrong report. And it was about three pages on what went right and about 80 on what went wrong. But pretty much what you did, because it, it, was, it wasn't a meeting, it wasn't a discussion, it was just a document that people would populate. And you'd kind of leaf through it, look for your name, right? <laughs> See if you were blamed and then... And, and whoosh, wow, I wasn't blamed, and then you'd, you'd move on. Awesome. But, yeah. it, but it wasn't, I, I think that's the important thing is, is making sure that we are setting it up to be about the lesson and not about the blame. Yeah. That, that's how we, we get the most success out of that. That, so. that. that story just really beautifully, I think, sort of uh, captures, like, boils it down to the binary choice, which is, uh, is, is this an exercise in ego preservation or is it an exercise truly in learning and improving? Yeah, yeah. And we want, and yeah, these heuristics is about more and more about the latter and that's yeah. what we're trying to do. So that's a good one. That's, uh, that's, that's a good one that fits on a, fits on a t-shirt and probably could uh, be let's, on our, our screensaver or well, yeah. sticker on our laptops and so on. So um, so appreciate everyone joining us for this episode. Um, uh, as we explore these heuristics around learning, um, you know, consider, you know, the lessons of the heuristics and the lessons about using heuristics, right? Mm -hmm. and, and how they, they take many different shapes, uh, uh, whether it's low use, uh, high impact or everyday kind of heuristics. And so we're hopefully making people more, more thoughtful and deliberate about uh, both adopting heuristics and designing and using them themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so uh, we hope that you will, uh, you know, if, uh, if you got something out of us, uh, you will rate us, review us, tell other folks about us. Uh, you can find us at uh, jflinch.com backslash happy heuristics or mgstrat.com happy heuristics. What else do we want to cover today? Well, we love, we love ending with a sort of simple bonus heuristic and, uh, you know, just to kind of provide examples of what we mean so we don't over-intellectualize this, this, this theme. So... So this, uh, this bonus heuristic is everything is better with bacon. That's true. I would add butter to the equation as well. Butter probably works. And, and, and you know, like all heuristics, they don't, they don't work 100% of the time. Exactly. But they work often enough that it's still worth remembering. Absolutely. There we go.